Bloody Elbow presents the MMA Vivisection, the show that gives you a comprehensive breakdown and expert analysis of all the fights happening on this week's UFC prelims card. Paid Bloody Elbow Podcast Substack subscribers will hear bonus content, if available, at the end of the broadcast. Be sure to subscribe at bloodyelbow.substack.com for our newsletter and at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com for our podcast network. Follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com. Thanks for listening. Here are your hosts, Bloody Elbow Fight Analysts, Zane Simon and Connor Rebush. Hey everybody, welcome back to the MMA Viva section with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, Connor Rebush. We are once again talking about this week's UFC card going down at the Apex facility in Las Vegas, Nevada, headlined by a middleweight bout between Marvin Vittori and Jared Cannonier. Uh and otherwise just full of stuff. Just uh gill wall to wall, gill to gill, pack to the gills, whatever, with stuff. <laughs> stuff. That should be the they should go back to subtitling the cards. Yeah. Um, yeah. This could this uh, fight night could alternatively be um, UFC fight night stuff. Yeah. Or stuff. if they don't want to cop to that, as I'm sure they don't, UFC fight night mix pride, <laughs> mix achievement. Oh man. Uh, all right. Yeah. We we, we spend, I, I I could easily just spend more time just like. No, we can't just shit on. I've, we're, yeah, it can't be our thing. This is how they break us. It's how they break us. We just we have can't. to stop complaining about them because it becomes more tedious to complain about them than it is. Well, not more tedious than it is to cover. A them, different but. kind of tedium. Yeah, we need some variety in our. Yeah, tedium. it's it, it's the new tedium. We need to go back to tedium classic. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Get a little sick of eating dirt and go back to eating grass. <laughs> there we go. But yeah, we're talking about the prelim cards for this uh, ESPN. Oh, it's, it is an ESPN card, too. They put this on TV. Oh, wow. seriously? Yeah. Boy. Uh, I guess. Well, I'm ESPN. I'm pissed. <laughs> I, well, I mean, I guess the NBA season's over and the hockey season's over. So, I mean, then they may as well show like ESPN, the Ocho type shit over this. They should show curling. Yeah, bowling. Yeah. Bowling, right. darts, you know, we'll show some like nine ball billiards. Yeah, yeah there we go. That's the good stuff. <laughs> Those are all kind of more novel and fun to watch than some of these UFC cards. All right. Well, let's talk about this Bantamweight featured prelim here. Hani Barcelos, Miles Johns. And I, I oh, want Hani. I want better for my man, Hani. I know you do too. Yeah. But he really has kind of backed himself into this kind of fight, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, um, tough matchmaking didn't do him any favors, but I, yeah. I also think that, um, you know, we, through that tough matchmaking, the, th- the thing is, is that Hani has gotten, it feels unfair because he has gotten what used to be the standard of UFC matchmaking. Yeah, yeah. Because, like, you just got to fight every tough bastard on your level the whole time. And, yeah, and, and these are dude. Some of these dudes are dudes that like they aren't even going to stick around at this level because mm-hmm. they make too much money. They're not, uh, you know, they don't have bantamweight games that are going to survive at this level. Whatever. 
Yeah. Like they cut Team Revalia right away. They brought him back for tough, of all things. Um boy, that is dispiriting. Well, this hilarious tough season where they took like fifteen, you know, fifteen guys that have been in tough been in the UFC before, sixteen guys that have been in the UFC before, they stuck him in there with sixteen guys that they would normally put on the ultimate fighter. And they've just been crushing them, right? And they've just been crushing them. <laughs> Go figure. It's just like didn't they... You're gonna stick Timur Valiev in with some rube who like has eight fights on the you know the TKO can't Canadian fighting circuit or something. Was like... one of the coaches smart? Did one of the coaches do? Because because if it was me, it would be like that uh, episode of It's Always Sunny, where they get community service sentenced to coach like a youth basketball team, <laughs> and they just walk in there and. Uh, Dennis immediately picks all the black kids. Like well, they, you, 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 you. If it was me as a tough coach, I would look at every dude who had a UFC record and be like, you, 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 I mean, you. A, I don't who they are. This might be Conor McGregor's community service. I wouldn't doubt that. <laughs> um, He's going to have to do another season of tough after he punched out that mascot. That's right. B... <laughs> They didn't actually get to pick their teams. Oh. They just gave Michael Chandler all the UFC guys, and they gave Connor oh all God. the non-UFC guys. So it's just Connor losing every single week. I did not think that's what it was. Yeah. I knew he had had the two or three. I don't know. No one watches oh, yeah. stuff. But I didn't realize. <laughs> I didn't think they would possibly allow it to be all the newbies, all the scrubs. Yeah, all, all the, the scrubs are on one team, and all the UFC vets are on the other team. Oh my goodness, that's funny. <laughs> I might watch really- this now. This <laughs> is like you know, even cause it's even just like the last one was like Austin Hubbard against some guy, and Austin Hubbard just beat his ass. Yeah, you know, like yeah. It is just, uh, it's really pretty funny. Let's see. Yeah, Cody Gibson knocked out some dude, Mando Gutierrez. It's a great Roosevelt knockout. Roberts detonated Nate Jennerman. And Austin Hubbard took out Aaron McKenzie. And we still have Jason Knight against Landon Canones, Kurt Holliba against Lee Hammond. Brad Katona against Carlos Vera, Hunter Azure against Rico Disculio, and Timur Valiev against Trevor Wells. Wow. Yeah. That's really funny. It is really funny. And it seems to suggest they didn't expect that would happen. Anyway, why are we talking about this? Uh, because... <laughs> well, you're talking about Hani Barcelos, Timur Valiev being... That's right. That's right. The, the guys that he has had to fight aren't like Victor Henry might not stick around in the UFC long term. I don't even know. But guys like Victor Henry and Timur Valiev, even Trevin Jones, these are yeah. all really actually tough, difficult fighters. And uh, yeah, he's gotten, Barcelos has gotten a, a steady die. Kurt Hollabach, Chris Gutierrez, and Saeed Nurmagomedov, too. Like, he, he hasn't had a single. I, I would say, you know, Trevor, sorry, or Trev, Trevin Jones. Yeah. That's the gimme in there. He was always going to lose to Barcelos. Khalid Taha, Carlos Washington. You know, there have been a couple, but the, the yeah. bulk have been tough fights. Yeah. And anyway, what, what I was saying is that this trial by fire has revealed some of the limitations in Barcelos's game, that he is outwardly super impressive, 
Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's a he's a great athlete. I think I mean he's also getting old. Yeah. That is part of it. That's kind of what we we're worried about and why we were so insistent on him getting meaningful fights as quickly as possible because he came into the UFC, he was like 32 or 33. He's 36 now, he looks a little slower, but um he is also like your classic MMA all-terrain fighter in that people have been able to press him in specific phases and kind of expose a lack of depth. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, by that regard, I would say that this is a pretty good matchup for him. Yeah. Because Miles Johns is himself a pretty limited fighter. He's powerful. He is uh, a guy who can wrestle, but he doesn't do it all that often. And, you know, like I would say his striking form has improved little by little over the course of his UFC career, but he's still largely one and done looking for big bombs. And I think Honey Barcelos can handle that, basically. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Miles it's, it's, John is he's really kind of a throwback wrestle boxer. He is the, we were talking on the main card of section about how, like, there was this decade that sort of really let wrestlers become punchers in MMA. Yeah. And Johns feels like a guy whose game is built entirely still around that ideology. Yeah. Like, Oh yeah, I used to be a wrestler, but now I get to also be a good, like a, a fundamental go out there, scrap it out with you one shot at a time power puncher. Yeah. And uh, a lot of the game has moved past that. Yeah, and... it's extra sad because there's another guy in this exact division that I frequently confuse Johns with. Yeah, who has Gra- kind Gravely. of yeah Tony Gravelly, who has yeah. a sort of reached a new level of <laughs> better comfort and better technique in those protracted striking battles. Johns has not found that. Yeah, but at the same time, you know, he's still winning most of his fights. It's just. Mm-hmm. The bar for that, you know, it's been Vince Morales, Anderson Dos Santos, Kevin Natividad, yeah. Cole Smith. The bar has been guys like Mario Batista and John Castaneda, who are yeah. much more the busy, the the modern meta of busy strikers who can stuff enough takedowns that yeah. you're not going to just be able to run run over them with one shot at a time. Yeah, and, and also in just an extremely simplistic levels sense, they are just clearly better fighters than those other guys yeah yeah but uh and the interesting thing here with barcelos is that he is kind of in that classic oh yeah i'll sit down with you and we'll just trade like big striking exchanges yeah kind of fighter that would match john's pace and let him be that kind of have that kind of fight he's just a better version of that though you know, yeah. he's sharper, better timing. He's just a lot more fluid as a striker. Yeah. More aggressive, more, you know, single minded and very process driven in how he wants to fight all that kind of stuff. Yeah. More creative. It's not just overhands. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just kind of like Johnson will get to have the kind of fight he wants, but he'll get to have it against somebody who's just kind of better at it than he is. Yeah, probably. Odds on the bout. John's. Let's see. 
is uh, the underdog opened at plus 176, currently plus 188. Barcelos opened at minus 233, currently minus 214. So, uh, interestingly, John's line kind of closing a little, or kind of getting wider, rather, a little, and while Barcelos's line is closing a little. So, I don't know how that works. I don't know what that says, but... Uh, Barcelos a reasonable favorite, which makes sense to me. Yeah. That brings us to a flyweight bout. Jimmy Flick, Alessandro Costa. And this is a hard fight for me to call. Mm -hmm. I would like to see Jimmy Flick win it because I like his story. I like his... uh, I'm not actually all that pleased about him coming back. But no. I want to see him have success. But it is kind of like... It's weird because he's kind of coming back as... um, Oh, man. What's... Damn it. Why not, who is the Brazilian great back-take artist grappler who was in the UFC for Formiga? Mm-hmm. He's kind of... Formiga 1.0 or like 0.5 even where he's sort of an ultra throwback flyweight where it's just like man really the only thing you have is your grappling back take game and all the rest of your game is not developed at a competitive level Mm -hmm. Alessandro Costa is playing a, you know, sort of average Brazilian kind of power Muay Thai game with some grappling to it, (laughs) where he can go out and throw really hard, get hit really hard, survive on the ground while not always getting dominant positions on the ground, which also means he can easily lose on the ground. Um. But it's a it's a functional, understandable modern MMA game. And Flick, it's really like you got the back take. Did it work? No. Okay, you're probably gonna lose. Did it work? Yes. Oh, you're gonna win. You know. Mm-hmm. And that may I mean it makes it hard to pick Flick in any fight because. Yeah. You're basically just like, oh, here's your Hail Mary shot. Did that work? No? Okay, well, you, you, can you get another one? I don't know. Um, I, I'm just yeah, gonna I mean, Costa. you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to take Flick for finishing potential. Yeah. I, I think, you know, he's, he's not entirely... Um, a first round finisher, like not even close. He, he has quite yeah. a few second, a couple third round finishes throughout his career. He is always opportunistically looking for those crazy submissions. Yeah. And, um, yeah, Costa's just a guy. He is very much just a guy. Like he's, he's, he is one of these many new flyweights who does not really feel like a flyweight. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and like he hung pretty tough with Amir Albazi, but he also like he, he didn't get anywhere. Yeah. Um, and that is kind of how I see him. Like I, I don't I think he'll probably feel like a more ordered fighter because Jimmy Flick is so chaotic, but I don't know that he he really has, has the foundation to stop any chaos from happening. That Flick can just crash into him and jump guard or jump for a flying yeah. arm bar or leap onto his back or Yeah, it is worth saying like Flick feels like a point five version of Jusier Formiga or Jusier Formiga, but he does feel like in like he's a classic flyweight mold. You Absolutely. Know? Yes. And yeah, you're right, Costa feels more like a bantam weight competing at flyweight. And he's a really consistent finisher, Flick. Um so yeah. I will take him. I don't have a super clear idea of how the fight plays out. Uh, mostly because like if, you know, he Costa Costa's downside here is that he sort of matches flicks big picture aimlessness without his like specific threats. Yeah. It is worrisome that, that Costa does have four wins by five wins by armbar on his record. Yeah. yeah. That is actually a worry. It's, it feels silly to say that because I mean the upside is he's never lost by submission before. Yeah, he's only ever lost one split decision and two knockout TKOs. Um, but, but certainly does, a major part of his loss to Amir Albazi was his willingness fact, to be on his back. He just stayed in guard, like not even really a very active guard at all. Yeah, just closed guard. Like, yeah, I just think he he I just don't think he can match Jimmy Flick's aggression and pace uh, and ability yeah. to chain threats lets, together. If he, on the lets, ground. if he lets Flick take him off his feet, which he very well might. Yeah, then that's going to be a huge problem for him. If he lets him do it repeatedly, if he can stay, keep it standing. I mean, he's a much cleaner puncher. Yeah. Than Flick. Yeah. Um, And it did not take much success at all for Charles Johnson to go from getting carried off, swept entirely off of his feet to getting back up and absolutely crushing Jimmy Flick. Yeah. Like it was a 30 second turnaround. Um, which is kind of my worry why I, I don't want to pick Flick. Yeah. You know what? I'll stick with I'll stick with Coast. I don't believe in this flick return, and I don't like it. And I don't I think... don't like it either. But yeah, he is. A, I'll, I will take a, a finisher, basically yeah. finisher over guy. Yeah, no, that's fair. I'm I'm gonna stick with Costa. Uh, odds on the bout. Flick is a big underdog. Actually, opened at plus two hundred three. Is currently at plus two eighteen. Costa opened at. I don't know because the fight thing screwed up when I clicked it to see the uh, table. So I won't click it again, but he's currently at minus 252. So pretty good odds for Costa. Shockingly good odds, in fact. Undeservedly good odds. (laughs) All right. That brings us to a bantamweight bout. Kyung Ho Kang against... Christian Quinones. Quinones, Zane. Quinones. Gotta hit the Enya. Yeah, Enya. I'm not good at that. (laughs) Um, Kind of 
I get the feeling that even though this shouldn't be, this is going to be very much a middling paced mirror match. It it very well could be. Yeah. Um, it's years to talk about, but I just want yeah, to- no, it very well could be. Yeah, that that is exactly what I was thinking. Is so so much of how this fight plays out seems to depend on how determined Kyung Ho Kong is to grapple. Yeah, because he's always got he's always had multiple options in fights. Yeah, and he often uses like one third of the options he has. Yeah. Um, and, and to be fair, um. He has uh he's gotten pretty good at the boxing. He has, yeah. Like Kyung Ho Kong has a great jab. He's big. I mean, that helps. He has a lot of reach, but he moves his feet pretty well. He has a great jab, great straight punches in general, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's willing to use his reach to pressure people and make them uncomfortable, which uh, I really like when he he sort of walks people down. And uh yeah, Quinones is um himself a like bouncy, rhythmic, mobile, straight puncher at his best. Um, on the feet, that is. And, um, yeah, I see I see a, a very high probability of this being kind of a... I mean, it probably won't be bad. Like, the thing is... I don't know. I'm reminded of, like, Kyung Ho Kong's fight with a um, uh, Brazilian guy. Uh oh, Yaya? No, not no. Uh, Honey, or no? Uh, damn it! It's right, <laughs> it's right there never... in front of me. Um, just a second ago, Ricardo Hamos. Ricardo Hamos. There we go. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're like that was a that was a simmer, but a pretty yeah. good simmer. Like Kyung Ho Kong can have a fun, rangy boxing match with people. Kenyona seems very similarly equipped. If anything, mm-hmm. I would kind of give Kyung Ho Kong the edge there. I think he's just. Uh, you know, he's only the more experienced fighter in terms of like, is it, they have the exact same record, except that Kong has lost six more times, mm-hmm. 18, nine against 18, three. But um, he does read like the more experienced fighter. You don't have to go that far back. Well, he's basically. 35. He's been doing this for, yeah, a long for a time. long time. And you don't have to go that far back to see Quinones looking kind of clueless and messy. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it gives me the impression that the the sort of calm, cool, rangy striking we saw against Taha, I mean, it was very much th- that it's still a bit of a veneer. It looked like an improvement even over his fight with Long Shao on mm-hmm. the Contender Series. Um, I think he's Brandon. They show Brandon Moreno cheering in the crowd. Is he trained with Brandon Moreno? Yeah, he's a he, he's part of that. Um, oh, Again, in from Jim. Yeah, and it ta- the Taha fight looked like he'd benefited from that relationship, right? Like it was already a step up, but you have to question how durable those kinds of improvements are when they're so recent. Kyung Ho Kong has been a pretty sharp uh, technical range boxer for some time now. And as I said, he's very willing to use that rangey game to pressure people and make them uncomfortable. And, um, yeah, I think if it were that kind of fight, I would kind of expect young Ho Kong to just slightly get the better of it. Yeah. My part of my, my problem is that he just, there's, he doesn't press any advantage out of that pressure, you know, like he doesn't turn it into anything. He, he, if he's doing well, it'll just be, Oh yeah, here's the jabs and the low kicks and they're really good. And that's it. Like, 
people will get they might have trouble dealing with it they might not like it but there's no layer behind that for his striking whereas at the very least what Canonas does have is the willingness to sit in the pocket and throw combinations with a little bit of uh, vigor and, you know, uh, appreciation of flow yeah. and idea for like, oh, I want to actually try to hit you three more times after I hit you that one time. Yeah, for sure. Um, but he can also get very messy once he tries to get out of oh, that yeah, he first does. layer. It's and I have seen him just fling himself into counters. Um, there's also that fight he had a, a few years ago. I think the guy's name was uh, Victor Madrigal, mm-hmm. who uh, it was a weird one. Like, Quinones was actually the one pressing a lot of the wrestling. This was clearly a much, much less polished version of, of this fighter. But um, he also just kept getting surprised in weird transitions. Yeah, uh, Madrigal kept threatening his arm. He used a Kimura to sweep him, and um, Quinones tried to like fight the Kimura grip and ended up giving up his back, and ultimately ended up being submitted from his back. So this is the thing: is that I think Kyung Ho Kong he he looks to me like the more consistent striker, but mm-hmm. he would have such an easier time with this matchup if he does employ his wrestling, which he should. Like, I, I think I'm going to pick Kim Ho Kong with you. Uh, yeah. The big thing for me is that I think one of the big reasons I picked Kinones uh, uh, over uh, Taha. Kinones, Sam. Kinones. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, wrong end. Kinones. Kinones. There you go. Okay. <laughs> Quinones. No. <laughs> Wrong end. Okay, just say it however you want. Just say Quinones. That's fine. Quinones. Okay. No. <laughs> you're you're going to do it on the wrong end. Don't do the NYA at all. What? <laughs> okay. 65 years old? Jesus Christ. I am from... They don't have any Mexicans. Do you know, how, do you know how far Northwest? north I, I grew up? <laughs> okay, how far enough. away from the center of the earth. All right. Well, then you better have a practical understanding of like various Inuit languages. Sure. Let's pretend that. Okay. <laughs> uh, anyway, the, the reason I picked him again over Taha is that Taha would really have to step inside and uh, fight his way through the distance and trade in the pocket. And I didn't, even though that, that's the core of Taha's game, but yeah, he, he he has been so limited in that game that it's, you know, it's really cost him a lot. Yes. And I wasn't all that surprised when uh, Quinones, uh, whatever, <laughs> Quinones, uh countered him in there. Yeah. But. I do think that with like with a taller opponent in Kyung Ho Kong, it's going to be really hard for him to get the range he wants and get the strikes he wants off. Yeah, he he so. had a very favorable dynamic in that Taha needed to get inside but didn't have the range tools to get there safely. He was able yeah. to dominate the the bridge basically. Yeah, he he was able to park himself on that bridge and just keep Taha out of his range. Yeah, and Kyung I think Ho that- Kong is going to be. Yeah, he's 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 going to be on that bridge with him, wrestling with him in the middle of it. Yep. 
hopefully wrestling with him literally too, as I said. Yeah, hopefully too. But I think with the, the low kicking and the jab we saw out of his last fight, I think the low kicks especially can maybe take uh, yeah take uh, Quinones out of the fight. Yeah, Quinones. That, that was that was pretty close. Quinones. Okay. <laughs> We're getting there. One step at a time. One day at a time. <laughs> one step forward, five steps back. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh, this 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 fight, I think, I, I'm expecting a pretty entertaining simmer. Yeah, I think Kyung Ho Kong gets these matchups, and even when he can't like break through, they tend to be fun and competitive. Yeah, Kong opened at plus one forty four. He's currently at plus one thirty seven. Quinones, or Quinones, there we go. At, just, opened just at minus one fifty one, and is currently at minus one fifty two. So he is the slight favorite. I think those odds are get, they're getting closer. I expect them to continue getting closer as the fight nears. All right. That brings us to a flyweight bout. Carlos Hernandez, Dennis Bondar. Please, Zane. It's Hernandez. <laughs> Hernandez. <laughs> uh, Carlos Hernandez, Dennis Bondar. And... Um, I don't... Really, I mean, basically, I'm more willing to treat Bondar's opening debut loss as a fluke than I am to treat Hernandez's success that he's had as a sign of his ability to compete. Hernandez is a very scrappy, not very athletic, uh, will have whatever fight his opponent wants kind of guy. Bondar is not dominatingly athletic, but is very driven to have a singularly grinding style of fight. And you know, take down top control, put you on the fence, stay right in your face kind of thing. The fact that uh, Gordon was able to kind of dump him into an arm injury early in their fight, you know, it's not a great look for Bondar, but I don't know that that's not a fight Bondar couldn't have won given enough time to tangle with and grind and fight Malcolm Gordon. So I'm I'm gonna take Bondar here. I I don't trust Hernandez to be a good enough athlete to get get Bondar off his game. Basically, excuse me, I was muted. Okay, I was just fully agreeing with you, saying I really don't have anything to add. I just okay. don't trust Hernandez physically um, yeah. to be able to to keep up with Bondar. Odds on the bout. Bondar is the favorite, opened at plus 117, currently at minus 126. Hernandez at plus 114, or open at minus 129, currently plus 114. So they have basically swapped lines. All right, that brings us to another fight, Jalga, another flyweight fight, Jalgas yeah. Jumagulov against Felipe Bunez. And uh, I'm just going to assume that that's right. It's Portuguese and... It is Bunes, yes. No Enyes. Okay. Sometimes they have Enyes. So I, 
God, that, that now that I've learned that, it just throw tears my whole world down. I, you know, like it's Nunez, but it's Pena because of that little mark. Yeah, Quinones. 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 <laughs> That's it. Beautiful. Yeah. Quinones. You see, the problem is, is that you laugh at me when I get it right too. <laughs> Because you hear me trying, you laugh at my trying. That just makes it work. Okay. I want uh, to be a teacher once upon a time. I would have had some very demoralized students. Yeah. Felipe Bunez against Dijalgas Zhumagulov. And really, this comes down to, like, where the hell is Zhumagulov at? at yeah. Yeah, I, I, on its face, this looks like a quite a winnable fight for old Jalgas. Yeah. Right, like Bunez is a slow-paced, high-octane sort of like I'm gonna try cool, wild, wild stuff. Yeah, and in between, not a lot. You know. Yeah. And Zhumagulov has been stepping up his output. Is hard to out wrestle and control. Is hard to hurt at all. Yeah. And is, uh, you know, technical enough with his striking that his output uh, should be able to, if he can just stay on the front foot, should be able to take Bunez out of the fight. Problem is, one of the notable things about uh, Zhumagulov's last fight was how many fouls he had. And how badly he reacted to them. And the fact that he wanted to retire. And really, honestly, I think what he wanted to do is he wanted to get out of the UFC. He wants, I think he wants to go retire or he wants to go fight for like, I think he wants to go fight for like Katarov's Katarov's, uh, organization. Yeah, certainly he he wanted to retire and then bumped up against the something that something in in his plans bumped up against the fact that there's that long tail on the end of every UFC contract that they yeah. will just keep you locked in. So he was like, eh. I, I mean, maybe. Yeah, I mean, hopefully, what if that is the case that he was just hoping to to fight? Hopefully, that means that he was just pursuing what looked like better professional opportunities and not that he had lost his heart for fighting. Yeah. If he was if he was over being an MMA fighter and then forced to come back, as we sort of supposed, that's pretty sad. And and that would have me worried. I'm, I I kind of have the feeling he just didn't want to fight for the UFC. Yeah, I, I think that's it, too. But the question is still if he's even if he's just over being a UFC fighter and like, you know, the other thing I'm worried about, too, is like the bickering with the ref. And all that kind of stuff. I, I worry about fighters when I start to see them do that a lot. Uh, you yeah. know? I mean, like, I don't know. He was getting fouled all over the damn place. I mean, that was... He was, but I still he worry. poked in the eye twice, got hit low, like, once or more than once. Like, it was constant. But the problem for him is that he's five foot four, and he's fighting another guy that's five foot seven. Yeah. Well, and, I'll just say, you know, I mean, this is this is supposed to be me going first, just so you don't forget that. Okay, but like the John Dodson thing, like, you know, John Dodson, he would get fouled all the time, too. But you could really tell when John Dodson's heart, like, yes. yeah. kind of got out of it. 
it when, reflected a, a larger frustration when he would get completely distracted by the fouls. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway. But that man got, you know, John Dodson, for, for his, to be fair to him, I'm not sure anyone has been hitting the dick more, <laughs> more no. than John Dodson every single fight. I'm not saying it's they're not he, these these people aren't right to feel bad about the fouls they get hit with. It's just yeah, you know you can tell when a fighter is hundred percent losing interest in their fighting career when the fouls become the eh, narrative of. I don't their even fight. know if it's always that. It's just some fighters have a propensity to get frustrated and distracted by stuff like that in a fight, and and I don't blame them. But like I think Achito Vera in his first fight with Davy Grant. He yeah. started fouling and com- because he was so frustrated with the position, like, um, and then I think of fighters like James Tony is always my touchstone for this because I've seen fights where James Tony, like his legendary fight, um, his legendary fight with, uh, oh my God, why am I blanking on his name? Uh, Vasily Jirov, mm. where he got hit low, like nine times. There's a, ultimately a point deduction. James Tony was one of those professional ass fighters who never even said a word to the referee. Yeah. If they missed all the fouls, he wouldn't complain and point it out to them. He wanted yeah. to go in there and stay focused on winning the fight. Yeah. That is definitely something that Jumagula maybe doesn't have that kind yeah. of. I just worry focus. about when I see it grow is what. I yeah. Mean. Yeah. Yeah. When I don't, when a fighter used to not care and then they yeah, start to yeah. care, that's when I'll, I start to worry. I'll give him a temporary pass on the basis that the fight was probably more full of fouls than any fight he's ever had before. That could be bad. He got fouled a ton. Anyway, Jumakulov should win this. I worry where his head is at. Yeah, that's that's the point. Uh, and then ju- just on its face, the matchup is like Bunez is way, way too passive. Yeah, he's super low output. He immediately takes the back foot. I think in the past that would have probably led to a very boring and very close fight with Zhumagulov, who himself was a very low output counterpuncher, very negative. Over the course of his UFC career, as we've noted multiple times, Zhumagulov has gotten hyper aggressive. He has shown that he has more than enough conditioning to keep up that pace as the fight goes on. And uh, I just don't see Bunez being able to keep up with him. I think he's just going to let Jumagulov build a head of steam way too easily. Yeah, I think I got to pick Jumagulov as well. I just don't like it. I don't like. Yeah. I don't like where he's at. So I'm I'm very distrustful of it. Uh, Jumagulov opened at minus 165, currently minus 152. Bunez opened at plus 147, is currently plus 137. All right. That brings us to a women's flyweight bout, Teresa Bleda, Gabriela Fernandez. And, um, yeah, I don't know. Bleda's so young yeah. that there's great opportunity for her to grow. She's got a lot of physical strength. She doesn't have much else, though. Yeah. So the, the it's really kind of a blank slate. And uh, Natalia Silva, as it turns out, is actually pretty good. So it's hard to know how much to take away from that fight as well. Yeah. I guess it's a good sign for Bleda that she got to round three of it, considering that, uh, you know, that uh, Victoria Leonardo got her face broken in the first round. Mm-hmm. 
Um, because Gabriela Fernandez certainly has the power and the snap to land some of the same kinds of shots that Natalia Silva has, did, mm-hmm. but is even less capable of fighting her way out of bad grappling spots or even less well-trained to fight her way out of bad grappling spots. Yeah. Natalia Silva knows how to explode out of bad spots on the ground. Right. Fernandez does not. She doesn't have quite that same dynamic level of offense. Yeah. So it's kind of a question of like, do do I believe that Bleda is improving enough to not just burn herself out through one hard round of action and grinding or do I think that uh, Fernandez is going to be yet another fighter who is just too capable of fighting everywhere for Blada to just be able to be big and strong and win by being big and strong? Mm-hmm. I guess for now, I'm just going to take Gabriel Fernandez until I see something else out of Blada. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a very difficult like point in a fighter's development to pick a matchup like this. Yeah. Cause uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm not like unimpressed with Gabriela Fernandez. Uh-huh. She shows, you know, she, she moves well. She's, she's a pretty sharp, accurate striker. Yeah. Um, but she's also like as an MMA fighter looks pretty limited. Yeah. And that is exactly the same case with Blada, except she is way more reliant on her physicality, I think. Yeah. Uh, even in the phase where she's strong. Mm-hmm. There's very little technique to, that she can rely on. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Um, Jasmine Jasudovicius had to uh, actually had to work fairly hard to, uh, to get Fernandez down in their mm-hmm. fight. I guess that's enough reason to pick her because that's really the yeah. only area for concern is can Blada get her down and can she keep doing it? Yeah, it, it can can she either get a finish or keep doing it for three rounds to pick up a decision? Um yeah, I don't know. I think Fernandez has an understanding of some of the basics. Honestly, I feel like the 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 real risk here is Fernandez like getting impatient stuffing takedowns and making some kind of mistake that lets Blada work her from top. Uh-huh. In fact, I think that might have happened in the Jesudovicius fight. I think yeah. she might have been stuffing the takedown yeah. and been like, I'm going to go for a judo throw or something. And I, I just don't trust Blade's gas tank if the fight goes on that long. Like, yeah, if she's able to put up that level of resistance, she's a little more patient, Fernandez, then she can probably let Blada kind of wear herself out. Yeah, because Jesudovicius, we know, like she will just keep she will keep coming out after you as long as Absolutely. she has a chance. Especially yeah. if she's getting to pressure you. I mean, yeah, she's yeah. very comfortable keeping that up. So, yeah, I, I'm picking Fernandez, but it'll be interesting because, like, I, I do think there's a lot to work with there for Blada, but it's just... Yeah, she looks super raw. Really raw. Odds on the bout... Blada is a big favorite. Opened at minus 272. It's currently minus 226. Fernandez opened at plus 233. It's currently plus 98. So those lines getting closer all the time, and they should keep getting closer. Like, yeah. Blada 
you know, her, it, yeah, her game is really just about how much bigger and stronger she is than her opponents. Yep. All right, that brings us to a Bantamweight fight. Ronnie Lawrence, Daniel Argetta, and... Uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm taking Ronnie Lawrence. Really? Yeah. Da- huh. Daniel Argueta. It's just a guy. He's just another guy. He's extremely slow uh, because he overloads everything that he does. Like really one and done massive swings. He just sort of like, um, you know, hops his way into range in order to load up the punch he's going to throw and then like stumbles into a clinch. It's a very limited game. And I think that as long as he's not completely out wrestling Lawrence, Lawrence is going to do his like fake karate guy thing and, and land more impressive shots on him. I mean, the, the real concern with Lawrence is that, uh, uh, I don't know. His game also doesn't have much depth, but I feel like his his first layer is a lot more capable of befuddling a uh, a fighter like Argueta than the other way around. I don't know. I think Argueta is a pretty like classic, you know, power bull his way forward, land a big shot, look for a takedown kind of yeah basic guy. Yeah. And Lawrence is, you know, he's your weird, tricky, scrambly. He he only tends to beat people mostly when he can out wrestle them. Yeah, for Lawrence, he's and, like a he's like a super. Who was the uh, the flyweight uh, that everyone was really excited about for a minute? Who was like the karate wrestler hybrid? Oh, uh, you know who I'm talking about. Yeah, God, what was his name? Um, he was good. In fact, I think I won a T-shirt on our producer's show for thinking of his name oh, years man. and years ago. <laughs> I can't even remember who he fought anymore, but I know exactly what you're talking about. I had a brother yeah. who, who I think fights for Bellator now. Yeah, uh, let's not get anyway. distracted by it. Yeah. But the the thing for Lawrence is that being not a very strong athlete who has to out-wrestle people, like, you know, he, he's not very strong at bantamweight. No. Fighting a guy, a feather a featherweight cutting down who is pretty strong. I think our get is just going to be able to get to spend a lot of time on top in this fight. Yeah, maybe. That's really like, it. What it is, he, he just reads as so slow and cumbersome to me already. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I I don't get enough of that. I, I I think maybe it'll come across, but I think it's much more likely that Lawrence will pretty quickly give him tie-ups that he needs, and Argetta will be end up on top in them. Yeah, that would be a good way for the fight to go. You you might be right. Let's see. Argetta is the favorite. Or no, is these the underdog opened at plus one thirty seven, currently at plus one sixty-three. Lawrence opened at minus one fifty-two, currently down at minus one eighty. So those lines getting longer. I'm not really sure why. Like I just don't think Argueta's a very impressive fighter. I don't think he is either, but I don't think that Lawrence 
is either. Like, I think he's going to tangle with Argetta in the game that Argetta does best. Like, yeah. you know, Argetta did okay in a loss to Damon Jackson and then lost on tough, I know, but like Ronnie Lawrence basically just got bulldogged by Ejo Kukakramanov, who I realize Argetta well, is not I mean, as good come as on. <laughs> Kukakramanov is a beast. Yeah, but I I see this looking potentially a lot more like his fight with Mana Martinez, where he just had a lumbering oaf following him around, needing to jump into range before he could even fire his first strike, and he could just run him into stuff. Argetta is much functionally stronger than Mana Martinez. Yeah, yeah, but that still requires tying up and getting into range on his own terms, and I think that's going to be the difficulty. All right, all right. Well, it's not worth quibbling over. We'll find out. It certainly isn't. All right. And that brings us to a light heavyweight bout, Zach Pauga. Blessedly, the last fight on the card. Yeah, against Modestus Bukowskis. The Dark One returns. And this seems like a pretty simple read to me just for Bukowskis. Um, He is has improved a bit on his output Mm -hmm. and he's got a good frame for light heavyweight and he throws long, uh, you know, long strikes and works well off that has the kind of power that can be a big decisive uh, difference maker in this division. Mm -hmm. And Pauga's thing that he came out with that won him, his last fight against Jordan Wright was swinging claim. Just one shot, clinch. One shot, clinch. One shot, clinch. And I gotta say, being the guy that doesn't finish Jordan Wright Mm -hmm. is not that impressive. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, by the way, it was Justin Scoggins. Yeah, Justin Scoggins. (laughs) That's the karate wrestler flyweight. Okay. Yep. That was gonna bug me. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, to be fair, I thought Pauga looked very solid against Jordan Wright. It, it, it's just that, fine. like, he he completely worked him, but um, yeah, he just doesn't have a lot of oomph, does he? Well, there's no dynamic speed to him. Yeah, uh, there's no way to get into a phase where he can he can like do stuff to people that that is impactful. Yeah, the power is there, I think, for Pauga. Um, at light heavyweight, it wasn't there quite at heavyweight, but the speed is not there at light heavyweight to be dynamic and surprise yeah. people. So it was really just like, oh, I've clubbed Jordan right in the face. I'll clinch up with him. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, I mean, if you just keep punching Jordan right, you'll knock him out. Like, I don't. I mean, yeah. He did. He did yield one of Jordan Wright's most frustrating performances, though, where he just like kept getting clinched and like trying to do collar ties. Didn't know how to how they worked. Yeah, <laughs> he just did not make any effort to get out of the clinches. That was fun. Jordan Wright is a horrible testament to how not to train a, a fighter. A hundred percent. Whoever yeah. his coaches are, really. Oh, that's right. He's a the guy who's not Henry Hooft. 
Uh, <laughs> That's most people. No, I know, but uh, that Dutch kickboxer who fought in the UFC for quite a while. Wait, Gokan Saki? No. For a while, not for like a day. Um, Dutch kickbar and Alistair Overy? <laughs> no, God. Okay, uh, Jordan Wright. Uh, Wiki. Dutch kickboxer fought in the UFC for a while. Yeah. Oh, damn it. <laughs> it's not, is it going to even say who came up under it? It was like, he was notable for a minute. Uh, Jordan Wright coach. This is going to bug me. Okay. Well, I'm going to talk while you're doing this. Yeah, please do. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I tend to, to agree with the general theme that Zach Pauga is just not very dynamic in any way. Neither, it has to be said, is Bukowskis. But I think more for stylistic reasons than physical ones. Mm-hmm. Bukowskis is, uh, I think, a pretty solid athlete. He's he's pretty big. He's pretty fast. Um, he is just really, really shackled to a super, super basic boxing game which um, I think in the early days was very much built on the idea that he was going to be longer and taller than people and could just kind of keep them at bay and annoy them and win fights like that. And, uh, or, you know, knock them out when they were forced to overcommit and rush him. And um, yeah, he has had to learn to up his output and get a little more aggressive. And I have to say, like, it was both commendable and hilarious the way he did that against Tyson P- uh, Pedro, because, um, you know, Pedro, a complete facade, the fighter he is in round one. Bukowska saw through that. But he literally let Tyson Pedro back into the fight. Yeah after crushing him because he just it's not natural to him to to fight at a pace and to build to a uh you know that ian gary style of of tall man striking victory he he, he doesn't put stack layers on yeah he went back to his corner and they're like you have to put punches on this guy and what that resulted in was modestus bukowskis throwing 85 one twos yes yes okay it was anthony hardonk Anthony Hardonk. Okay. He was the guy who fought in the UFC for a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At one point, and okay. who trained Jordan Wright. Anyway. Um, and yeah, it was just funny. Like, Bukowskis, you could credit to him. Like, he clearly had to overcome some personal demons. He had to make himself uncomfortable and just keep going for it. But it showed how unnatural that is to him and how little experience he has with doing that. Because uh, even in this round where he successfully got the momentum back, it was like he was he was barely hitting Tyson Pedro compared to the number of strikes he was throwing. Yeah. Uh, because they were such predictable combinations. One, two, one, two, one, two, over and over again. I'm actually curious to look at the stats. Yeah, he, he, he actually he landed 44 of 109 strikes, so 40% land rate, which is yeah, yeah. terrible. Round but, three, hey, 46%. He threw 49, yeah. landed 23. I think, you know, we're talking about hitting an exhausted one-round fighter in Tyson Pedro here. (laughs) Um, But yeah, he couldn't come up with any more ideas, but he did go for it. Yeah. And I think that is absolutely a step in the right direction for him. I think he's a fighter. For me to pick him over Pauga. Yeah, absolutely. He's going to move around. He's going to make Pauga look slow. When he needs to, he's going to put a bunch of one-twos on him. 
All right, that uh, takes us to the odds. Bukowskis opened at minus 158, is currently down at minus 195. And Pauga opened at plus 142 and is currently up at plus 173. All right, no prelim bonus for today's episode. Sorry, everyone, but you can follow me on Twitter at Zane Simon. You can find Connor on Twitter at Boxing Bush. You can find both of us over PolitiOvo.com. Give us a like, uh, share our posts. The like thing didn't matter, so I don't know why I said it. Share our posts. Become a subscriber to our Patreon or to our Substack. I, I'm now fully in distracted mode. Uh, and we will see you all next time for UFC on ABC Emmett versus Tapuria. Adios, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow podcast production. Subscribe at bloodyelbowpodcast.substack.com. Give us your email and receive notifications when your favorite shows drop straight into your inbox. We're also found on a wide variety of podcast outlets. Just search for Bloody Elbow Podcast and you will get new shows throughout the week, including the MMA Bunker and MMA Tete-a-Tete shows with Kid Nate, the Level Change Podcast, the Hey Not the Face Podcast, the MMA Vivisection Main Card and Prelims UFC Preview Shows, the 6th Round Post Fight Show, the Show Money Podcast, and the MMA Depressed Us.